0: Hi, and welcome to another edition of Jewish Thought Flow. This is your host, Malty Cohen. Today I'm going to be the only host as Avi is unavailable to record this podcast, which might come to as a disappointment to the 10% of you who enjoy Avi more than you enjoy me. For today's episode, we're going to be revisiting the Trelas. We're going to really be wrapping it up with this episode. This time is the last time, we promised. And for today's episode, we're just going to be going through all of the questions that are asked on the mirics along with the answers. That way, you have a very nice overview of the subject, of the topic, with all the questions asked, all the answers given. That way, if you see any articles or anything written, you can be well informed and recognize all of these sources, questions, answers, etc. So, I'm not going to be going too deeply into any of the sources. I'm just going to be asking the basic questions, giving the basic answers, and you can decide for yourself how worthy a candidate this is for the Trelas. So let's start at the beginning. So there are really two famous candidates for the T'cheles. There's the cuttlefish, popularized by the Ritziner and then there's the Murex, popularized by the Basil T'cheles Institute. So the Ritziner went through all of the sources every time the Chilazan was mentioned in the Gemara, in the Midrashim, in the Tyra. The Chilazan wasn't mentioned in the Torah. but the T'cheles was mentioned in the Torah. Worked through all the sources and came out with a cuttlefish, while the Murex people came out with a Murix. but they came at it from a slightly different perspective. Instead of going through all the sources and trying to figure out what this matches, they went through what animals do we have, or fish, or sea creatures do we have, that can produce a certain color. And based on that, they worked backwards and said, well, how well does this fit into the sources? Now, obviously, if you're coming from the sources and trying to come up with the fish, or the animal, your reading of the sources will be much smoother naturally. While if you're coming from a conclusion and working backwards into the sources, it's very likely you'll be trying to force in some of the sources. And we're, we're going to see that. We're not going to be going through the Redzinner Chilas, but we're going to see that with the Murex, how many of the sources, if not all of the sources, are forced readings to fit. So the first question one can ask is the location of the Chilazin. So the Gemara, the Gemara in Shabbos on Chavvava med'alif, as well as the Gemara in Megillah on Davvava med'alif, state that the Chilazin can be found from Tzor, to Haifa along the coast from Sorta Haifa which is in the Chalik of Zvulim. Now at first glance this might seem like a proof to the Murex, as the Murex proponents are quick to point out mounds and mounds of millions of Murex shells were found in exactly this location. And even today we find Murex in the seas in that location. However, Amdin in the safer farm in the fourth parak, writes that from these words of Khazal in, in uh, the Gemara and Shabbos and Dafchhab, which says that the, the Chilazan was found in this location, it implies, and this is a quote, ki <laughs> im The only place in the world to find the Chilazan was between these two places. You can also find this in the Carbon Ada, in his uh, parish to the Yerushalmi Yiperg Zion in Shabbos, where he also says that this was the location where the Chilazan was found in not other lo- locations. Now, contrast this with the murex which is found all pretty much all over the world. It's not just in the Mediterranean Sea. It's also in the Atlantic coasts of Europe and Africa, in Spain, Morocco, the Azoros. You can find this uh, information on Wikipedia we mentioned in the first podcast. So that's already the first problem. The location of the Murex is found all over the place, while the understanding, the basic understanding of the Gemara is that the location of the Chilazin was only found between Sor and Haifa. The only answer I've seen given to this is that we... Basically, don't hold of the Ibbots and Carboneta, they, they, they were wrong. Um, it's possible that somebody else disagrees with them. Which leads us to question number two, which is the Murex, Dain Industries, found between Sor and Haifa, also used as a proof by the Murex proponents to the Murex being the Chilazan, is also against the Gemara. We only have two sources as to where the dying of the Chilazan was, uh, of the dying of Tcheles was done. There's a Gomorrah and Saita on Memvav Amadbez, and the Gomar and Sanhedrin on Ahmed Amadalif, which both say explicitly that the dyeing of the Shilazin was done in Luz. And the Benyayadah on that Gomorrah and Sanhedrin says that the air in Luz would make the dye adhere better to the wool, and that's why it had to be done in Luz. Again, two explicit sources saying that the dyeing was done in Luz, and yet the dyeing of the Mureks was predominantly done on the coasts between Sor and Haifa. As of the recording of this podcast, I have not seen an answer that's worthy of being given over. Now, this next question I find to be the strongest question, which really discounts the Murex out of the opening, but it's a little bit difficult to give over all of the details because there's just a lot of statements about it, and the answers are, are really all over the place. But suffice it to say, there are about 25 Reshinim who all name the species and either call it a fish or a worm. There are six different Reshinim who all call it a worm, not a snail, mm-hmm. You'll see some of the answers given that Rashi might have called it a worm here because he meant a snail, but he called it a worm because a worm is a snail. It's just a a worm with a shell is a snail. And then you'll have answers they called it a fish because it just meant sea creature, because anything in the sea could be called a fish. You don't have a single Rishon calling it a snail. You'll you'll find people trying to quote different Rishonim and calling it a snail. I have an entire contrast that I wrote explaining every single source. If you want to go in depth, I can't do it in this podcast. It'll take an hour to go through the whole thing. But I have a contrast writing it out, explaining it very clearly. I'm gonna be linking that contrast to this podcast if you wanna look at it. So that's question number three, is the species. So just as an example, Tysus and uh, and Chavez Daf, Ayn Hey Ahmed Aleph says that the chilazan would thrash around when it came out of the water, thus bringing its death closer closer to itself, which is how Tysus answers a certain question, the Gemara. Uh, so the way they try to get out of this is, endotysis says, maybe it thrashes around, even though that's the, the answer Tysus gives for the Gemara is that maybe it thrashes around. There's no when he says maybe, but clearly we see that the, a snail would not thrash around. But if you learn that the chilesin is a fish, like all the Rishonim say, then thrashing around when you bring it out of the water would make perfect sense. But making perfect sense is not the goal here. The goal is to have the sources match in whatever way possible, the Murex, because again, the Murex is definitely correct. Now the question is, how can we match the sources to it? fourth question that can be asked is How can we use a non kosher creature for the mitzvah of Trelas? Generally, we don't use non kosher creatures for mitzvahs. Now, to this, Levisha Aaron, which is the, the pamphlet which has been the most famous pamphlet in answering all the questions, uh, basically just quotes half of the Night of The Night of is in doubt as to whether it could have been kosher or not kosher, and actually, ironically enough, brings proofs from the Lashinus of the rishonim who call it a fish or call it a worm. And he says, according to the Rishonim, we call it a fish. You could say it was kosher, but according to the Rishonim, we call it a, a worm, uh, then obviously it wasn't kosher. And he basically has a question whether the color is considered an intrinsic part of the mitzvah, or is it just Chazusa Ba'alma? Is it just the, the vision of it, and it's not intrinsically part of it? But he ends up as that it's a suffolk. Uh, so it's very interesting how the Lusharn just presents one side and pretends that that answers the question. Yes, you could get out of the question by by being at his question, by answering his question, but he left it as a question, and he's a very late Acheron, who clearly did not see uh, a snail as even an option in terms of answering this question. Question number five, the Gemara Menachas on Daf Mem Dalit Amid Beis says that the Chilazan was the color of the sea, or gufa Daimel right? its guf, its body, is the color of the sea. Now obviously a basic reading of the Gemara would lead you to the conclusion that if you looked at the Chilazan it would look blue, the Mereks does not look blue. So what do they say about this? They say, well, when it says it was the color of the sea, it means, well, they actually give a couple of answers. One of the answers, the first answer, we'll go through them one by one. There's three answers that they give. The first answer is it was the color of the sea, meaning it was the color of the seabed, not the sea. Now, obviously, to say this is twisting the basic meaning of the gemara without any of to backing them up. But they say, well, we have a couple of sukkum and nach where Rishon will translate yam as the seabed, so maybe that's what it means here. Now, to do that, they have to ignore the corresponding Braisa in the Sitzes, which basically is word for word with this b'risa, except instead of saying Gufa dem leyam it says Gufa dem That instead of saying his body was comparable to the sea, it says his body was comparable to the sky. Now, sky and sea, when both are referring to blue, are often used interchangeably, uh, as we see even in in the you know in the Gemara and in Rashi when explaining why we use treles because it's daim leyam which is Demel which is liyam, which is Demel So we see that these three colors are basically used interchangeably, uh, but they also just say, well, maybe it's machlekes, the b'raise in tzitzes, and the brisa in menachas, which any real tamachachom would know that we don't try to make machlekes unless we have to, but again, here we have to because, again, the murex is correct, now let's figure out how to twist the sources. That's just one question. Um, Another question on this is that the Gemara just before told us that the t'cheles is the color of the sea. So now we have to say when the Gemara said the t'cheles is the color of the sea and its body is the color of the sea, it was using "c" in two completely different colors. One meaning the sea, meaning blue, and one meaning seabed, which is an ugly brownish color. Um, another problem with this is you have many Rishayanim who, for example, the smog, who says in one sentence that the treles and the guf of the chilazan were both the color of the sea. Uh, to say that the smog meant <laughs> seabed in the same sentence as, uh, as when he just used yam to mean sea is absolutely ridiculous... Um, but but when is that stopped? When is does that stop then? The second answer they give is the murex actually is the color of the sea um, because you'll find i don't know maybe two percent of Murexes are a kind of purplish color maybe um, <laughs> if you google it on uh, if you just google the Murex list, all the all the pictures will have uh the same color murex except those pictures presented by the websites dedicated to Pixeltras, which will present as blue, but all the other ones will have it as the same dirty maybe seabed color, which is what the first answer takes. But they'll, they'll, in the same sentence, they'll say it's the color of the seabed and the color of the sea. Both of them fit the Gemara perfectly, and the Gemara is describing it perfectly. It's, it's really a tremendous um, uh, flexibility of the mind to come up with these answers. Oh, yeah, and I forgot to mention, in terms of the first answer, the Rambam also, according to one Girsa explicitly says that the color of the Chilazan was the color of and It's hard to say that treles is anything but blue, and the Murex is anything but blue. Now let's go on to question number six. So the Gemara says it was daimila dug, it was similar to a fish. Now based on this, many Rishonim call it a fish, and Rashi says it was kamin Dug kamindagkatan, it was like a small fish. Surprisingly enough, none of them say that the shape of the shell was sort of fish-like, which you guessed it is exactly what the Amuriks proponents want to suggest. Now you can Google a picture of Amuriks, and again, ask yourself, would I compare this, say this is fish-like, and the answer is no. So what will they say to this? They'll say, no, well, the Gemara was giving and the Gemara was giving signs, if you knew it was a snail, so then it was saying it's a snail that kind of looks like a fish, and the Murex is the most fish-like looking snail. Now, besides the fact that that's also not true, if you look at a bunch of different snails, it would be pretty much impossible to pick the Murex as the fish-like one. The problem runs a little bit deeper. It's a little bit, it's going to be too complicated to give over um, right now. I'm trying to give over everything very shortly. Uh, but basically, it's very clear that the simonim given and the Gemara were meant for somebody who does not know what the chilazon was, to be able to pick out the chilazon, uh, It's evident from the Rishanim. I'm going to be linking a contrast called Chilazan Atcheles Bemishnasar Rishanim, which goes through a lot of these details and gives a lot more sources and explanations. Um, and there's a chuv at the end from Rev. Daniel Asher Kleiman, who who discusses this in one or two paragraphs and goes through it very clearly. You can you can look there for more information. Okay, question number seven. So the Gemara in Shabbos, Tavkov Zayin, it's Mishnah, it says that <laughs> the eight Shratzim, which are mentioned in the Torah, if you trap them or archival them, or wound them, then you are Chayev. Ushar <laughs> Shkatzim hachayv men puter, but the rest of the Shkatzim and Ramasim, if you wound them, you are pater. Now, one of the eight Shratzim, which you wound them, you are Chayev, is a Chaymit, which Rashi translates as a limsa, snail, which means a snail, if you wound it, you are Chayev. Now, the rest of Shkatzin v'ramasim, for example, a tilas, ha-chayvel ben-pater. If you wound them, your pater, Rashi says the ain lam ar, because they have no ar. So tilas, Rashi says, has no ar. We know that Rashi says a chayvel is a tilas, and therefore, since it has no ar, that is why a chayvel ben-pater, if you are chayvel it, you're a pater, which explains why the Gemara on d'ab Ein, Heim, Aleph does not list chayvel as one of the chayvel of a chayvel. So again, Rashi says that a snail does have R. He says a Tilas does not have R. And we know that Chilazan also, according to Rashi, does not have R, which is why if you win them, your are So this fits very nicely with Rashi, who holds that Chilazan is a Tilas. So that's another question on the Murex, which is a snail and therefore does have R, does have skin. Question number eight, and this one's a fun one. So the Rambam in Hilchas Tzitzis, Perak Bey's Halach Bey, says that its blood was black like ink. Now, if I ask you what does that mean, you'd say, well, its blood was black. Probably black like ink, because isn't that what the words mean? So no, says the Murex proponents, because the Murek's blood is not black. And again, remember the rule, Murek's is correct, sources must be twisted. So when the Rambam says his blood is black, they offer three different explanations. The first one is the Rambam got his description of the Chilazan from Aristotle describing the Murek's. When Aristotle describes the Murek's, he describes his blood as being black, even though the Murek's blood was not black. Therefore, the Rambam borrowed Aristotle's terminology to describe the Chilazan, because apparently the Rambam knew that the Chilazin was a Meirik's and then therefore would borrow Aristotle's uh, explanation. Now, this is problematic on many levels. First of all, the Rambam did not know, even if the murex was a Chilazin, he didn't know what the Chilazin was, as he says, in his parish, Hamishnayis, to Menachas, Dalid, Aleph, or Dalid, Mishnah, Aleph, where he says that we don't have the Chilazin today because we don't know how to diet. it, and his son, in Hilchah in hamaspek Begulay says that now... We have lost the knowledge of dying of the Tcheles, which sounds like the Ramah, which some people want to read as, no, we lost the, the method of dying, but not the Chilazin itself. But then he goes on to say, since we have lost a specific tradition to identify which dog it is, in other words, which fish the Chilazin actually was, we don't know what it was. Um, therefore, the later generations have stopped making the Tcheles. So unless you want to posit, which I have heard some of them try to posit that the Rambam knew that it was the Murex, but Rabbi Ram Benarambam, his son, said we have lost the tradition on what it was. Uh, so there's some sort of break in tradition between the father and the son, unless you want to posit that. We can safely say that the Rambam did not have access to the Chilazan, did not know what the Chilazan was. So for him to go ahead and steal a comment by Aristotle regarding the Murex and assume that that was talking about the Chilazan, as if he knew that the Murex was talking about the Chilazan, goes against the fact that we know the Rambam, first of all, did not have the Murex, uh, and second of all, perhaps more importantly, the Rambam would never quote in his Sefer Halakha a description given by a non-Jewish literature without backing it up with some Jewish source. He says explicitly that all the statements in Mish in Torah are coming from Jewish sources. Um, you can find, if, if you look in some real Tumidah Chachamim understanding the Rambam, they'll try to go ahead and find sources for the Rambam in Torah. For example, since the Rambam says the fish... Uh, We have a Yerushalmi, which explains that all fish have black blood, which could have been a source for the Rambam, which again would be another indication or another proof that the Rambam holds that it was a fish, not a snail. But again, just to recap, um, they try to say that the Rambam perhaps got it from Aristotle. First of all, the Rambam wouldn't get it from Aristotle because Aristotle was talking about a murix, not a and The Rambam didn't know that the murix was a chilazan, even if it was, which it isn't. Second of all, he wouldn't have gotten a statement from Aristotle because he gets a source from Torah. And third, and most importantly... Aristotle was actually never called it black. That was based on a translation error, uh, which has been confirmed numerous times that the translation error never actually called it black. So those are really the problems with saying he got it from Aristotle. The second answer given is that when you collect the blood, excuse me, the mucus, from the murex, and you collect a lot of it, so it comes out clear, but then after it gets oxidized, it starts turning into a dark purple. So maybe when the Roman said black like ink, he meant a dark purple which uh, kind of looks black like ink, um, the problem with this is kind of obvious, dark purple is not black like ink, the rama actually differentiates between different shades of black in, in numerous places, and black like ink is the darkest, blackest shade of black. The third answer given is that the veins on the outside of the murex, if you look at the murex and you see its vein, which holds this mucus, it's a very dark, again, it's a, it's a very dark color, possibly blackish. So if you look at the vein, it looks black, so maybe that's what the rama meant. Again, the 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 ability to comprehend the Hebrew language or the English translation is is uh, seems to be lacking over here. When he says that the blood was black, to say that he meant the vein looks black from the outside would be like me saying that human blood is blue because if you look at somebody's vein, it looks blue. I think we can all understand how ridiculous that is. There's actually a fourth answer which I saw given by a Rafi Hecht who is the leader of the Tcheles movement on Facebook. He has a Facebook group called Tcheles, I advise everybody to go check it out, it's a fascinating group with uh, lots of stimulating thoughts and points being made and he says that maybe when, when the Ram says shachor, black he's actually meant like from the word shacharis or Shahar, which is morning, or like the morning sky which is blue, so maybe when he said black like ink he meant shachor, shachar blue like the morning um, that one's actually a very strong answer I don't really have anything to say about that one Question number nine. So the Gemara Menachas on Memdala, Dam and Aleph says that it was So it came up once in 70 years, and with its blood, they would color T'cheles, and therefore, its value was very expensive. And Rashi says that the reason it was so expensive uh, was because it came up once in seven years and therefore it was very rare. Now, that means that the khilazam was very expensive because it was a rare animal. Now, the murex is not expensive at all. In fact, the murex is very cheap. They were able to find millions and millions of murex shells because they are numerous along the coasts of many seas, and therefore they are not expensive. The dye that is produced from them... Now, the dye coming from the murex is very expensive, but that's because it takes a ton of dye to produce even one garment of this uh, purple or blue, whatever you're making from the murex dye. Therefore, the dye is very expensive because it takes you know, thousands of murexes to produce even one garment. So to have enough dye to produce a garment would be very expensive. But the murex itself is not at all expensive. Um, I haven't seen an answer to this question either. Question number 10. So the Gemara in Shabbos on Daf Ein Dalet on base says that you would use nets to capture the Chilazim. This is where we learn out the Isser of tying on Shabbos is because he used to tie nets in order to catch the Chilazim. However, the murex was not caught using nets As Aristotle states in his History of Animals, Book 5, Part 15, that they would lower baskets in order to catch the murex, or lower bait and then have the murex drop into a basket, not nets, which is what the Gemara states the chilazan was caught with. Uh, Which, again, by the way, fits the description of the Rishinim that the chilazan was a fish or a worm like sea creature, which can easily be caught in a net as opposed to uh, snails traveling in the bottom of the ocean where you don't normally catch those with nets. Although maybe nowadays they can use nets to catch them off the bottom because they have scuba divers, they're able to place the nets on the bottom, uh, which is basically what they try to explain, that muirks actually are caught with nets. But again, it goes against what the history of the murex was, where in ancient times they'd catch them with baskets, not with nets. So that's question number 10. Now for question 11. So I advise everyone to go to the Gemara and Shabbos on Ein at Aleph and go through the Gemara there. Um, but just basically to bring it down, so there's machlekes whether somebody's a echilazen, somebody who um, basically pierces or, or, or smushes a chilazan in order to get the blood out. How many uh, how many Yisuri shabbos did he transgress? How many problem, shabbos problems were there? Um, and it's machlekes whether it's one or two. And then the gemara asks, why isn't it also a problem, which would be a third or a second problem? Why isn't it also a problem of killing it? And the gemara gives an answer that you're not trying to kill it because you want to keep it alive. Then, Taisvis asks, and basically all the Rishonim ask the question, why aren't you also chayb misham chaybo, which is wounding the animal? Uh, We mentioned this earlier in the podcast, but wounding the animal, basically drawing its blood, should also be a problem in Isser of Shabbos, and clearly you're getting its blood out because you die with its blood. Now, there's basically three streams of the Rishadim. Taisvis... Is the the main one who holds that the reason it's not a problem is because here the blood is mifkat pukket, which means it's it's kind of contained in one spot. It's not flowing through the body, and you're not chayv chayvul on blood that is mifkat pukket. The second answer given, quoted by the Ritva in the name of the Ramban, is that the chilazan is guf atom, which means it's not it doesn't it's not made up of a bunch of avarim. It's not made up of a bunch of limbs. It's just one it's one flesh, and you're not chayv chayvul uh, for something that's guf atom. The third answer is, uh, which is Rashi's answer, really, is that it doesn't have, or it doesn't have skin. Uh, as we mentioned, Rashi holds that the chilazan was a telos, was a worm, and he holds that worm's don't have skin. So those are three answers. Now, the question only gets off the ground. The question of why aren't you chay only gets off the ground if you hold that the thing that you're extracting from the chilazan is actual blood, because if it's not actual blood, then there's no chayvol. So the murex, the thing you're extracting, is not actual blood, it's... Some sort of mucus fluid, not blood. Uh, so, according to all three Rishonim, it is actual blood, because otherwise they wouldn't ask the question, or if they did, they would answer it's not actual blood. None of them say it's not actual blood. Oh, we'll get to Taishas in a minute. And therefore, we see from all the that the Dom, which means blood, that the Gemara says was used to dye the Tchelas, was actual blood, as the word means, and not some sort of mucus. So, again, the Murex, which we dye for uh, using its mucus, not its blood, would not fit this description. As an attempt to get out of this, they try to say that Tysvus, who we said before, this is Rabbeinu Tom and the Re, who both hold that it was uh, uh, Mifgat Pucket, that the blood was was gathered together, they hold maybe Tysvus also holds, but they don't say maybe, they say Tysvus also holds, that if it was Mifgat Pucket, that means it also changed from blood to something else. Now obviously the, the mucus uh, in the murex wasn't changed from blood into mucus, it was just mucus, um, but even if it was, they have no raya from Tysvus, they have no proof from Tysvus that he holds that it did change. From blood into anything else. And in fact, to say so would create a machleichis rishinim, uh, Rabbeinu Tam and the Re, against basically all the other rishinim that some hold that it's actual blood and some hold it's not actual blood. In general, real Tomerich Chachaman try to avoid machleichisim when possible, and here it's very possible to avoid a machleichis and hold that they all held it was blood, as is evident from their words. As an aside, when they quote Titus as saying it was Mifkat pocket and say, oh, the murex is also like the mucus is gathered and not flowing through the body. Um, they forget to tell you that, first of all, Tysvys is going, can I get all the other Rishinim? And additionally, they forget to tell you that Tysvys' question and the reason he said it was mifgat pocket is based on the assumption that it's real blood. If it wasn't real blood, then it doesn't have to be Mifgat-Pakid, uh, and the Murex is not real blood, as we already said. So they kind of just take one sentence from Tysus, take it completely out of context, ignore all the other Rishinim, and present it as a proof to the Murex, because, well, what else is new? So question number 12, the Gemara in Menachas again, says that it was Eilach, that it went up once every 70 years. Um, the Murex obviously does not go anywhere uh, once in 70 years. It doesn't come up to the shore once in 70 years. So to this, they'll quote Arad Baz, who says that after the Besamekdash was destroyed, it stopped coming up once in 70 years. Uh, this fails to explain why any of the historians who were around during the second Besamekdash, before the destruction, failed to mention this magical property of the Murex, that it came up once in 70 years. Um, another answer they attempt to give is that when the Gemara says it comes up once in seven years, it doesn't actually mean that. Uh, I'm sure you're noticing a theme of the Gemara not actually meaning what they said and the Rishendom not actually meaning what they said, but it doesn't actually mean that it came up once in seven years. It just meant it was extremely rare. And this was like a flowery way of saying it. Um, I mean, the, the, the problem with that is it's not what the Gemara says. It's not what any of the Rishendom say. So I don't know where they got that other than, again, the conclusion comes before the sources. Question number 13 is that the Gemara in Shabbos on Ein Heim Bays um again, says that the you would try to keep it alive, as we mentioned, because as soon as it dies, the quality of the blood immediately starts going down. The quality of the murix, uh, mucus only starts going down about half an hour after it died, or, <laughs> or at least this was the consensus among everybody um, up till about 10 years ago when, you know, this kind of guy decided to write a contrast and decided to change him and see us, and then since then, everybody in the psil industry has accepted this new as if it was a matzias, although uh, there's clearly a, some sort of a shina Hateva the between 15 years ago and the past you know, 10 years, where all of a sudden the quality of the blood did not start going down only a half an hour after, but started going down immediately. Um, so I don't find that answer satisfactory. Again, I'm not involved in the industry myself, so I haven't seen it, but I have seen the writing about it and all the writing up till about 10 years agreed that it was a question on it, but kind of just explained that when the Gemara says it goes down, it didn't mean immediately, it meant, you know, pretty quickly. Question number 14 is the Gemara in Menachis on Membez and Metbez describes a test to determine if whatever blue color you have in front of you is real dye from the Chilazan, or it's indigo, which was a uh, identical-looking substitute. Um, the test involves some sort of chemical reaction, whereby the real treles won't fade, and the indigo will fade. Uh, and even if it fades, it'll come back in a certain way. The, the test is described in the Gemara and also described in the Rambam. Now, the molecular makeup of the blue coming out of the murex dye and that of indigo is identical. Therefore, the test would not work. This problem has been pointed out by many scientists who went through the sugya and is really acknowledged by the Psil people, but they basically say that the tests in the Gemara, uh, we don't exactly understand, you know, what it means. It may not have been so accurate. We don't know what they were dealing with. Which, obviously, a much cleaner read of the Gemara would be that, well, the Murix die actually would be the same as Indigo. The test would not work because the Murix die is not the trellis. Question number 15 is that the Murix proponents would like to say that the reason we don't have the trellis anymore, the reason we lost the trellis, was because of a succession of decrees by the uh, by, the Romans and by the secular kings and emperors, who banned the use of murex dye. So they're like, oh, well, we have a ban of murex dye on the the regular people, not not for the royalty. And we have chelas disappearing around the same time. So that must have caused that. And therefore, we have a proof that the murex was in fact the chelazon. Unfortunately, we have not a single mention that the Chilazan was lost because of a decree. The mashmais of every single source is that the Chilazan was lost. As in, in other words, the fish itself was lost, not was decreed upon, but we still have it. As an attempt to try to answer this, they explain that the Gemara in Sanhedrin on Yudalaf from says that there was a decree against Chilaz. This is just blatantly not true. What the Gemara there says is that Roman soldiers captured uh, a Jew who was holding in his hands Chilaz, and he was afraid. And he managed to get away. Now, all the rishanim and Ahranim who discuss what exactly he was afraid of, uh, guess what? Not a single one of them say the reason was. Yeah, that's right. They don't say it was a decree. They give numerous different reasons. Uh, one of them is even goes so far as to say that they were afraid of the rain. Uh, another one is that it was just a very expensive item, and therefore they're afraid the Romans would take it. The ben Yadin, in a second explanation, says maybe at that time there was a decree against a religious decree against wearing treles, and that's what they are afraid of, um, which obviously was not the case by the Murex There was no religious decree anywhere. Uh, but again, the fact that the Rishonim don't explain the Gemara a certain way has never stopped these people. All the sources that do describe it being gone, in addition to not saying that it was decreed upon, they use the leshen of Nignaz, which means hidden. Uh, in general, the leshen of Nignaz would mean that we can't find the thing anymore, not it was decreed upon, but it's, it's right down the block, just being used by the kings. Uh, the Arizal is very explicit in saying that after the base of Mekdash was destroyed, we couldn't find the Khilazan anymore. Um, the Medrash expresses shock at someone during the tanaik period who said that he was able to find the Khilazan and uh, the Tan answers back to him, really, is a, it's, it's able to be found? Which would be very weird if it was the Murex, which was very famously being used by the kings and was obviously able to be found. Uh, just not warned by the public people. There's a very clear dichotomy between the history of the Murex and the history of the Chilazin, as stated by our Jewish sources. In fact, the Gra in his commentary to Hesitsis on the Shulchan Aruch, uses the medrish which says that the Trelas the was Nignaz, to explain why the Mechavr, why the Shulchan Aruch says, now we don't have Trelas. So he says the reason we don't have Trelas is because it was Nignaz, not because it was decreed upon a thousand years ago. Question number 16 is that all the ancient sources, historians, encyclopedias, all mention the Murex as producing a purplish-blue through a reddish-purple. None of them say it produced a pure blue, or you can find this in Vitruvius' book on architecture in book 7, chapter 13, where he speaks of the Murex being able to produce, let's just read his actual quote, so here it is, for it has not the same shade in all the places where it is found, but is naturally qualified by the course of the sun. That which is found in Pontus and Gaul is blackish, because those countries are nearest to the north. As one passes on from north to west, it is found of a bluish purple shade, due east and west, which is found of a violet shade. That which is obtained in southern countries is naturally red in quality. Therefore, this is found in the island of Rhodes and other such countries that are nearest to the course of the sun. Aristotle, in his History of Animals, in the same source we quoted earlier, also describes it as going from a purplish to a reddish hue, but again, not a pure blue. Pliny the Elder also, in his encyclopedia, says the same thing. In Book 9, Chapter 61, where again he describes it as going from a purplish-blue to reddish. Question number 17 is that almost every single one of the pieces, shards of pottery from the dyeing centers of the Murex, uh, have a purple ink on them, a purple dye on them, not a blue, which heavily implies, or basically outright says, that the color being produced was purple, not blue. Question number 18, again in the same vein, is all of the literature regarding, uh, all of the decrees, excuse me, regarding the Murex, all say uh, ban the use of the color purple, not the color blue. Now, to answer basically the last three questions, uh, they'll basically say that they didn't really know the difference between purple and blue, which is very odd because the encyclopedias that I quoted uh, go at great length to describe many different shades of reddish to purplish bluish, uh, to say they didn't know the difference between purple and blue is uh, kind of ridiculous. Question number 19 is that Josephus in Antiquities 3.7 and Philo on the life of Moses 2.18 both say that the purple, or argumon from the Tyra, was produced by a shellfish, namely the Murex. The Barbanel also explains that the argumon came from the Murex. While there are some does that argumon is actually a reddish color, not a purple, the, the standard understanding is that our gammon is, in fact, purple, uh, and pretty obviously comes from the murex, which produced a beautiful purple and was famous for producing a beautiful purple. Question number 20. To suggest that the murex was, in fact, the khilazan is to suggest that the Rishainim, who clearly knew about the murex and its ability to dye at least the color purple, were not able to put together the hints from the gemara to figure out that the Chilazan was, in fact, the murex. Uh, we know that the Murex was being used during the times of Rishonim. Um, we know that it was being used in Egypt while the Rambam was there. We know that it was basically in use through, through, in Constantinople while the Jews were there, basically from the 6th century on. Uh, this clearly creates a negative Messiah, which is going to get us to question number 21. Uh, to get more details on, on, on this question number 20, I advise you to go back and re-listen to part 1. It's, it's a bit of a, a longer topic, and I don't want to get too much into it at this moment. So question number 21 is that the reason the Basilevi refused to accept the Redziner Tcheles is because he said that since we know about the cuttlefish, we actually have a negative Messera. It's not just that we don't have a Messera. A lot of people, a lot of the Tcheles people try to confuse and be like, oh, well, we don't have a Messera for a lot of things, and yet we still have it. Like, for example, why do you eat turkey? Even though some people don't, but the people who eat turkey, why, why? it's very inconsistent to eat turkey and not eat this. So the base label wasn't just saying we don't have Masar as to what the Khilazan was. He was saying that because we have had this fish in existence and in the knowledge of the G'daylim of numerous generations, and they never said, yeah, that's the Khilazan, that counts as a negative Masar. It's as if they said, this is not the Masar. This is not the Khilazen. Now, being as the Murex was heavily in use throughout all of the Gainim and the early Rishinim's time, very famously in use, the fact that none of them said that this is the Chilazin, or even raised it as a possibility of the Chilazin, is very clearly a strong negative messiah against the Mureks, and it's as if the the Rishinim of Paskin, the Chilazin, is not the Mureks. The Chilazan is something else, which we do not have. Question number 22, and I really should have uh, listed this a little bit earlier, just to keep it sequential, but to suggest that the, basically that the amarayim and the Gainim lost, the messiah of the fish that was used to create Trelas, which is a mitzvah der Even though this would probably be the easiest thing in the world to remember. Why? Because if it was the Murex, it would be so easy. Why? Because, first of all, it's the only sea creature known to produce such brilliant colors. It was the only sea creature which had a consistent decree against it for the past thousand years, which is two very uh, distinguishable marks. And also, it's been used by the king's and queens. So, at any point, you can just say, well, yeah, the royal family, they're using what we need for our mitzvah. To say that they somehow forgot about it without any mention of a decree is is positing extreme negligence on the part of our Bale Maser, which is extremely disrespectful to the Gainim and rishonim. Question 24 is that we know that one who traps a chilesan, one who saw a chilesan on Shabbos, uh, is either the iser of trapping on Shabbos. Now, it is a mechloikis, whether you can be over the iser of trapping on a snail. Uh, even though there are some achreinim hold that you could be over the or which would fit if the Mirax was a chilazan, there are achreinim hold that it is not. You are not, excuse me, you are not over the melacha of tzad, you are not over trapping if you trap a snail. Now, if the chelazin was in fact a snail, as the psilt people pretend is so obvious then it would seem like you have a very strong rhyme from the Gemara, which openly says that if you trap a chilazan on Shabbos, you are a Because if the chilazan is a snail, and the Gemara openly says a chilazan, you're high for trapping, then there shouldn't really be any mechleikis anywhere, because everybody should understand that the chilazan is a snail, and the Gemara says you're a for trapping a chilazan. Now, you can possibly answer for this and say that there's a difference between a sea snail and a land snail. I haven't exactly seen any of Rishon who explicitly says this, um, nor who says this, but I have seen the Psilchilas people say it, so I just wanted to add that in for honesty's sake. And finally, question number twenty-five, the Gummar Beis, Amembaizamad Bez says, uh, describes how they would color or how they would dye the Thrilis. And there's machlekes Rishanim, whether you would mix the Salmanim, whether you'd mix the the dye ingredients, would you mix it with the wool, which would allow the pure Dam and the pure blood of the Khilazin to adhere to the wool better. Or would you mix the sammanim with the blood, which would turn the blood blue, and then that would get mixed with the wool. So Rashi holds that you, the blood itself was a blue color, and you would just mix that blue color into the wool, and you would you would use the sammanim, the ingredients, the dye ingredients on the wool to allow the blood of the chilazan to stick better, while the rambam and taisvist seem to imply that you would or say explicitly that you would mix the dam chilazan with the sammanim. Now... The murex, obviously, you have to mix the mucus with some money in order to create the blue color, which is like rubromantisus. But it goes against Rashi. Now, obviously, in any machlekes rishanim you have to say that one of them was is correct bimitzias and one of them was incorrect bimitsias. Uh But just to to know for sure that the murex is the Chilazan when it goes connected one of the rishanim, uh, it, it seems like us lowly people are not right to be mahriya between. Uh, these Rishainim and know for sure that the Murex was correct if it goes connected with Rishainim. Now, the 26th and final question is that the Gemara and Shabbos, and of Einheim and Aleph again, discusses the Chiv of Disha in regards to the Chilazim, which would be the Isser and Shabbos of extracting the blood from the Chilazim. Now, the Murex, the amount of blood that you, or mucus that you get out of it, is about four or five drops per snail. Now, the amount of liquid needed to be extracted is in order to be chayv on Shabbos, is around the amount of a dried fig, which is a lot more than four or five drops. So the murex would not be chayv, Disha, if it was the chilazan, the Gemara says the chilazan was. So in order to answer this, they give basically two answers. First is that it's possible the Gemara is talking about more than one chilazan. It's not all the Meshma'as with the Gemara. None of the say that. Who cares? Um, and the second answer is that it's possible, and they quote a, a rivet who, who seems to say this, that the shear would depend on what you were extracting. And if the thing you were extracting is more expensive, uh, that it's considered a chash of amount, it's considered an important amount, even less than a dried fig, uh, then you can say that your high of disha even with less than a dried fig's amount. However, once again, this is Tully uh, and and the Murex people are saying that, well, this side is clearly correct, because the Murex is correct. Which is why, in general Judaism... And the accepted position among Orthodox Jews is that we do not have the Chilazin, and we will not find the Chilazin, uh until Mashiach comes and reveals it to us, or we are able to match something up so well with the Gemara that there is no question. As opposed to the Murex, which matches up with approximately zero of the numerous Mamar Chazal dealing with the Chilazin. Now to wrap up this podcast, I just want to go through a few key points in terms of battling uh, people who try to argue Torah topics using non-religious motivation and sources. First of all, as we mentioned, if you are not coming from a terror perspective, you have no motivation to be honest, you just have a motivation to prove a point and to come to a conclusion. Uh, if the conclusion goes against the consensus, it doesn't really matter, and if it goes against the sources, it doesn't really matter because you need to make your point. So that's the first point that has to be made, is that you have to take any source that they give with a grain of salt. You have to be wary of context. Whenever they quote a source, you want to look immediately at the context. Never take a quote that an academic or an offering person gives you without immediately checking the context. For example, they'll bring a quote from Rabbi Ben Rambam and they'll say, oh, by the way, Rabbi Ramban Rambam says that cracking is like cracking a walnut, which clearly implies that it has a shell. Um, I've seen this quote so many times by that uh, Facebook leader guy that I mentioned earlier. Uh, what Reverend Manaramim actually says is he's defining the term ptsiyah. What does ptsiyah mean? And he says that it's hi harisuk risuk It's like um, either crushing or cutting. Like, well, it does say like ptsiyah, which means being ptsiyah, a walnut or a nut. Um, but that is a quote from a which uses the term lepsiyah geism, or Mishnah that says lepsiyah uh, geism. All he means to say is the word ptsiyah over there, which means also risuk or chitach. In that case, it means risuk. That's what Paitseya means here also. Uh, It could just as well mean Khitov, which is actually, the the, the Rashi clearly does not say that it means cracking. It means just smushing. We have other examples of the word Paitseya through Shas, where it clearly does not mean cracking. For example, uh, the Gemara relates, um, if somebody's Paitseya, a woman's uh, face, which just means he hits her in the face, it doesn't mean he cracks her skull open. Another example, they'll say that the ron and uh, there's another Rishon, I forget who it was at this point, but it says that the Chilazan was a snail. It says that the Chilazan the was kilchuzayne like snails in, in the garbage, meaning that it's a snail. If you look in the context, it it's back, uh, we actually touched on this earlier in the podcast, that when they say that it's guf atam, that it doesn't have limbs, it's just one body, so they give an example of another creature which also is one body and not made up of a varm. The example given is a snail. It's not saying the Chilazin was a snail. It's saying that the Chilazin was gof'atim like a snail is a gof'atim. In fact, I think honestly it implies the opposite, that the Chilazin was not a snail, but why make inferences when they say explicitly it wasn't a snail? Besides Jewish quotes taken out of context, you also have to be very careful any time they quote a guyish source. Uh, The reason for this is usually they're very hard to look up. Um, for, let's say, for Yeshiva Bacher, a lot of times they don't have access to these guys' sources, and when you see this person saying, oh, Aristotle says this, or Pliny says this, uh, for a lot of people it's very hard to look up, they don't really know what they're doing, they just kind of take them on their word, they're just as dishonest with non-Jewish sources as they are with Jewish sources, if not more so. Additionally, in a halakhic or a Jewish topic, we don't take non-Jewish sources with a grain of salt when compared to the Jewish sources, um, which again, with this, New York seems to have uh, <laughs> taken the opposite approach. Another thing you have to be very careful of is when they'll cherry-pick some Yafid. So just for example, when they say Mithgat-Pakit, that, oh, the Chilazin was Mithgat-Pakit, that the blood was, was gathered into one spot, it wasn't flowing through the body, uh, and they refuse to tell you that, no, that's, that's just one Rishan's opinion, it goes connected about ten other rishonim, which we generally don't take the Yachet over the Rabim in these kind of Makhlaikzen. You'll see this method most often used in areas of, of Ashkafa, where a lot of times the rishonim have a range of positions, so they'll, they'll take the farthest, uh, position and kind of pretend that that's like accepted position, as opposed to the position which all other Rishonim say that's not our tradition. Uh, this is really what Nathan Slavkin made himself famous for doing: was cherry picking different Rishonim in order to, to produce a convoluted Hoshgafa, a convoluted philosophy on Judaism. In the same vein, they'll also take different uh, quote unquote Rishonim who often are just people who happen to live in the same time and give them the same authority as a rishon who's been accepted by our tradition. Again, this is something that Slifkin does very often. But even with accepted rishonim, they'll, they'll use people who you've basically never heard of in any halachic topic. For example, in, with the Tcheles, uh, you'll see the, uh, the Tanchum Yerushalmi quoted. I'm not sure how many of you have ever heard of that Sefer or have ever seen it being used in any halakhic discussion, but of course it's going to be used here. They'll also use a the Septuagint. They have no problem using the Septuagint, which was a, a basically a non-Jewish version of the Torah. They'll use that as proofs to Jewish halakhic topic. Another thing they love to do is mix and match cheetahs. They'll take, uh, you know, so Rashi holds that it was X, and Tisus holds it was Y, uh, but not X. So we'll take Rashi's position here, but then in that other Makhlechus, will take Taisvis, and then that other Makhlechus, will go against Tysus and go with the Rambam. And using these four Rishanim and Pasukin, like each one uh, independently in a, di- in a different topic will create this creature that no Rishan holds up, but each Rishan holds up a particular aspect of it, uh, which is something they often do, which is obviously not a proper way to approach a entire topic. Something fascinating that the Murex people have tried to do in this situation is because an overwhelming majority of the gedolim came up very strongly against the, the uh, the Mureks or just said it was not correct. So they're trying to compose a list of all the gedolim who hold of it. Now, by the way, this podcast is not coming to disrespect any Gedolim who holds of it. Um, I'm sure that they were somehow misled by the propaganda campaign that has been waged by the Murex people. But in order to create this list, they basically have like Maybe one person who's universally held of. And then they'll say, well, this Gadol said that it's not an Aveira. If you hold that the Murex was correct, it's not an Aveira to wear the Chilas. So he's also kind of a supporter. And they'll be like, well, this person, they'll say, uh, R- 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 Ravasher Weiss says that if you believe it's a Chilas, then you have a Chief to wear. So you see Ravasher Weiss also kind of supports it, all in the effort to create this the master list of Geddelim who hold of the Murex. It's really surprising where the motivation for this comes from. It's, I mean, it's obviously a, a huge money-making uh, industry, and the more people who accept it, the more money is going to be made. Uh, I'm not saying that's definitely the motivation. I'm saying that's a motivation that I see, and I'm not sure what other motivation there would be to, to mislead so many people, misread so many sources, and be so dishonest about such a important topic. The important thing to remember is, it's not Gedolim who are leading this. Even the Gedolim who agree with it, they're not the leaders of the organization. Um, most of the the quote unquote terror research done is, is being done by these two or three Kyle guys who are getting paid to produce as much literature as possible supporting the Mureks as a chilazim. It's not like the Gdailim are going out and, and creating these contrasim. It's it's mostly these nobodies who are spending all their time trying to find as many sources that they can to try to support their position. The second last thing I want to warn you about is that they are very, very eager to shift the goalposts. So they'll start out by telling you, yeah, it fits all the description of the Gemara. And then when you start going into some of the questions on it, they'll be like, well, by the way, it doesn't have to match all the Rishonim because Rishonim didn't have the Chilazin so they could get things wrong. And then when you go, well, it also doesn't match a the Gemara, then they'll be like, well, it doesn't really have to match a Gemara because uh, the real is the Chilazin was not a particular thing. It's just any... Basically, they'll say any snail that can produce a blue is kosher It doesn't have to be a particular one. So even if it doesn't match any of the Gemara's descriptions, it can still be correct. Uh, where they get this from is, is absolutely beyond me. It seems pretty explicit, uh, both in in the Tsefta, which says that any uh, dye which does not come from the Chilazan is not kosher. And then the Gemara Benachas describes what the Chilazan is, and all the Rishonim describe exactly what the Chilazan is. But they're just like, well, I don't care if everybody's describing it, they're just describing the one that was used in the times of the Gemara, but not the one that has to be used to create kosher t'chelas. You can create kosher t'chelas from any sea creature you want, or any snail you want, because obviously chelas means snail. So in the end, they basically try to cut the knees out of any sources you could possibly have, because the Rishonim didn't have it, and the Gemara doesn't really matter. And I think the final thing you have to be careful of is anybody who has a pet Murex. I would just avoid all discussions with him about this topic. Um, the discussions I've had with people who have themselves kissing their, their tcheles in their profile pictures have not led to any productive discussions, as you can guess. When people cannot agree that things mean what they mean, uh, you're not going to really get anywhere with that discussion. And if I could finally conclude with a quote from the Rosh Shiva of Shivas Dareth Aesan, in Farakwe, Reb Kichil who, referring to the efforts made by Psil Tcheles in pushing the Emirates, say, I find their efforts rather distressing... Psil is attempting to foist on an unexpert public a halakhic practice through marking methods and thereby establish the precedent of a minhag. At the same time, their stand ignores the words of the Rishinim and exhibits a cavalier attitude towards the Gemara itself. The Gemara menachas they give the description of the chalazin is dismissed by Psil as homiletic. If Psil succeeds, they will have contaminated the halakhic process. And I couldn't have said it better myself. So thank you all for listening. I hope this gave you a very clear picture of the Chilazen in our sources and how the murex does not match. Um, I'm looking forward to all the snail mail we get from the treles people, as well as any fans who have any questions, anything they need clarified, or any compliments on the podcast are always welcome. Uh, you can reach us at jewishthoughtflow at gmail.com. I'm Mati Cohen, and this was Jewish Thoughtflow.